Well, welcome back to Inside the Pastor Study Podcast. I'm Pastor Jeremy. And I'm Pastor George. And we're broadcasting on a Monday. Monday? It's awesome. I mean, it feels like things are kind of writing themselves. It, it's Yeah. Spring is here. At least in New England, mud season is beyond mud us. Mud season has passed. Yeah. Yes. And we're moving into things, you know, starting to actually grow. That, yes. New England has some interesting seasons. Yes. Um, you know, yes. We, we have multiple winters, multiple springs, one blazing hot summer. Yes. And about two Which weeks. Less, yeah. In about two weeks in late October, where everybody comes to visit us. Yes. Um, because it's just downright gorgeous and perfect. And then we go back into dreary, dark, and cold. Right. But right now, we're, we're, we're getting some sunlight and some green, and it's nice, and we're here. And it's good to be back with you. Um, on a Monday. On a Monday, yeah. So uh, for, those of us, for those of you who are just joining us, whether you're doing it on our uh, YouTube page or on our video Spotify feed or any of the other podcast hosts. And possibly... Totally by accident. Yeah. Oh man, that'd be great. Or a friend shared you shared us with you. Uh, we're a father and son pastoral team. We serve a local church uh, just north of Boston, in uh, Methuen, Massachusetts. And uh, our goal of the podcast is to t- give you a window into what it's what pastors chat about throughout the course of the week. Uh, we want to you know, communicate some of these things that are hard to preach and are yeah. hard to have a uh, class around. Uh, but are nonetheless important to our faith and how we process the world around us. Because ultimately, we believe that that God's word is useful for all facets of life. And anything that we encounter in life, um, we can encounter through this lens of understanding the gospel and knowing Jesus and studying his word. So right. so that's really the the basis behind what we talk about, whether it's movies or um, or travel or um, theology or theology in general, really? right? And so so that's kind of the background of why we're here, what we're doing. And we start off each episode with a theological term because we know that sometimes these words that we use as pastors um, may be foreign to you. So we're going to dig into another one of those right now. The Theological Term of the Week. This week's term is millennium. Nice. It's a really good ship. Not millennial. Oh, yeah. That's... Yeah, millennium. Yeah. It's um, the Falcon, right? The Falcon. Yeah. yeah. Millennium Falcon. Exactly. Or I tend to think of Prince, right? We're going to party like it's 1999 because the millennium is coming. The millennium. Yeah. So it's yeah. a word we use a lot, but it's got, it's got theological. Has theological basis. Implications. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. So talk to me about millennium. <clears throat> so the millennium is uh, identified for us in the book of Revelation. Um, it's, it's the word millennium or the word a thousand years. So the word millennium means a thousand years. Mm-hmm. And the term a thousand years or the concept of a millennium is expressed very clearly in Revelation, I think it's 20. 20, I think. Revelation yeah. 20, uh, because it says in that passage of Scripture that Christ will return to earth, Satan will be bound, uh, and, and Christ will reign for a thousand years. Hmm. And that's the essence of the millennium, is that Christ will reign for a thousand years. So when we talk about the millennium... yeah. We're talking about this 1,000-year reign of Christ. Right, which gets, I think that's a great underpinning and understanding. And then from there comes all kinds of misunderstanding and, it, and exactly. question marks, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, is is this like that, you know, there's a really troubling verse in Scripture. Yes. That really messes up our interpretation that for pe- so many things. Oh, people tear, tear that verse right, right out of yeah. yeah, you know, it's the day of the Lord is like, or for the Lord, a day, right? Yeah, day is like a thousand years to yes. the Lord. Yes. yes. Which affects creation because now he can say, oh, oh so, so there's seven days, but that could be 7,000 years. Yeah. Right. Or is it, you know, like this, is it, is, is the millennial reign just a day? True. Or True. an age? Right. Cause we talk about that too. Like those, sometimes we think those words, are, some, some think those words are interchangeable that it's. Um, that thousand year is just an expression for an age or a period of time, an epoch. Exactly. Right. But and it know, doesn't necessarily have like 1,024 hour days in it. True. Lots of questions here. So, I mean, you could actually, in the Old Testament, I know that it says that life is like a watch in the night mm-hmm. for God. So, a watch in the night is four hours. So, if a watch in the night would be four hours and a day is like a thousand years, 
then that would be one sixth, right? Of because you're 24 hours, four of 20. That'd be one sixth of a thousand years. So man should then live for a sixth of a, a thousand. Sixth of a thousand, right? Wouldn't that be? Wouldn't that be the right math? I guess. Because if, if it's like a watch in the night, if our if the span of our life is like a watch in the night. Yeah, and this is where you end up proclaiming the exact date that the Lord is returning and you bring all your followers to the top of a mountain to experience it, right? Exactly. you start digging yes. into these numbers yeah, and you end up making some assumptions, some assumptions. that aren't in Scripture. Right? Yeah, right. And so right. what do we do then with a statement like Revelation 20 that talks about a thousand-year reign? Do we, do we take that for face value and say this is a thousand actual years? Or do we think, well, it's just an era that, that the Lord is an in. An era, yeah. Uh, where the Lord yeah. is in control where jesus is the the monarch right um like how do you how do we take that so we're gonna i guess we're gonna introduce an additional term i think we've actually <laughs> dealt with this term along the way um but that term is the word hermeneutics mm. oh man okay. that should have been like an early one right? it should have been it should have been it you know what the study of men named herman why don't you go back and check all of our podcasts up to this point and let us know if we've done the term yeah. hermeneutics or even better like send out you know break out all of our podcasts among a group of friends who have not heard it yet and just assign you know two or three episodes per friend yes and then ask them to report on whether or not one of those episodes talked about talked hermeneutics. about hermeneutics. You know, divide yeah. and conquer and spread exactly. the message yeah like a watch in the night <laughs> um so hermeneutics is is an additional term here in hermeneutics is how do we study the Bible, mm -hmm. right? And we generally hold that the proper way to, to address Scripture is to, first of all, take it literally. Mm -hmm. um, and if I take it literally, then I, I can also take it grammatically. So I understand, for example, that uh, if I come upon the phrase, uh, you're pulling my leg, mm -hmm. that that's meaning the person is, you know, kidding them, joking them, putting them on, uh, but not necessarily standing there and Yanking tugging their on, their right. on their limb, right? Uh, so I, literal, grammatical, historical, so I have to take the third concept, I, I have to take how people actually heard it in its day. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I take those literal grammatical historical things and then I understand the context. So when I come to the word that Jesus will reign for a thousand years, I guess I gr grammatically could take that and say it's a long period of time because yeah. in Greek there aren't really a lot of terms, a lot of number terms. I mean, we're up to... And the national debt in the United States is up to trillions of dollars. So words like trillion and billion and even million weren't necessarily uh, in vogue in Jesus' day. Those are kind of all modern terms. In fact, you know what? I was reading, I was reading uh, Winston Churchill's History of World War II. Mm, lovely. Just kind of light reading. Uh -huh. and, uh, easy stuff. Easy stuff. And it, it's interesting to me that Churchill, back in uh, 1947, when he writes these books, he doesn't use the word million, hmm. even in his conversations. He talks about thousand thousands. Interesting. Because the concept of million hadn't actually become in vogue. So he talks about uh you know this radar process project that they were working on and how he earmarked um you know you know 58 you know 5 5000 dollars to uh to take care of that radar thing so the concept of million is huh. even kind of new to us so when you use the word thousand in greek you could just be talking about a number that's huge like we would say you a know, trillion, a trillion, a bazillion. A, there were millions and millions of people there. Yeah, you know, yeah. five hundred. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's just it's, so you could be talking about an indescript, very large number. Mm -hmm. But within the context, you could also very easily say that it's one thousand years. Yeah. Now, I have a I have a predisposition to this. Okay. All right. I like the literal concept. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons that I like the literal concept is that it's a mirror to the start of the book. Mm. 
If I go back to the book of Genesis, mm-hmm. um, and I actually read Genesis 5, which most people in their Bible reading have a tendency to skip over that chapter. A lot of names. A lot of names and a lot of numbers. And we don't like to read names and numbers and lists. Yeah. But you have, you have things like Adam, who lives 365 years and then has his son, Seth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he lives, uh, you know, an additional years after that. And all of Adam's age, all of Adam's years are 900 years and he dies. Right. 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 And you get all the way up to uh, Methuselah. That's the guy that we all know. Methuselah, who is the oldest man in the Bible, mm-hmm. who lives to be 969 years and died. And there are a lot of folks that focus on Genesis 5 and they say, yes, the importance here is that they all died. By the way, that's Paul's take on it as well in, uh, in Romans, uh, Romans 4, I think it is, where he talks about, and they all died. Hmm. And um, all men die and that death demonstrates the reality of sin. Mm-hmm. Cool. Get it. But they all lived into their 900s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it kind of seems like a nice balance to me. That we get into the book of Revelation, and if I'm going to take those numbers seriously in Genesis, it kind of makes sense to me to take this 1,000 years in Revelation on face value and say there's an entire generation of people who will live long, long, super long, crazy lives, Mm. 1,000 years because of the presence of Christ here on earth. Mm -hmm. That's my take on the millennium. One of the things we're going to do in the next couple of weeks... Let's talk about some of these different takes. Some of the different takes, and we're going to introduce some other terms for yeah. you yeah. to grasp because... Uh, yeah, because historically the church has wrestled with what this millennium means and where it's placed in the story. Exactly. And every time I sit down to teach this book of Revelation, this is where people get snagged. Yeah. And they will, they will uh, just like... Time out, you know, they're like, t- tell me about those millenniums again, because they just, hard to, gra- hard to wrap your number, your brain around it, because first of all, you're using a strange word, millennium, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but on top of that, we're going to use, we're going to throw some suffix, some prefixes, prefixes on them yeah. that just make people, we're not good with prefixes. No. Because, you know, like. Yeah, because like, what if I want dessert? The opposite, Right. But also prefixes, yeah. yeah. But yeah, but <laughs> you know, prefixes are like you know, if if the opposite of pro is con, mm-hmm. in the opposite so of progress. progress is congress, right? right. So yeah. so yeah, so so we get all kind of all mixed up with some of those, and we're going to deal with those in the next few weeks. There we go. In our terms of the week, so stay getting tuned. into some fun stuff here. Yes. Yeah, I think some things yeah. that you know are. Are particularly confusing. I think terms that, again, these are terms that pastors, theologians are very comfortable using. Yes. But I, we recognize are also potentially very confusing. Right. And so, yeah, so I'm looking forward to clarifying some of these in the coming weeks. But that, having that base knowledge of understanding what a millennium is in relation to scripture is pretty key. So listen to this podcast and then listen to the next few. If you are, you know, you might want to come back. For more. For more. Yeah, we'll see you on that in a little bit. All right, that's your Theological Term of the Week. The Theological Term of the Week. All right, so I had an interesting weekend. Did you? Yeah. I uh, um, had a bike race on Saturday. It's something that I've been planning on, planning to ride for three years. Um, we, uh, signed up with a group of friends. We were going to ride this race up in Northern Vermont, uh, initially signed up to do it in, uh, April of 2020. Now this isn't a normal race. You do a lot of bicycle races, a lot of yeah, bicycle stuff. All kinds of weird this things. one was different though, right? Cause yeah. it, was, it was, so this race is called Raspatitsa, which is named after the, uh, mud, mud season. season in Russia yes. when all of the tanks get bogged down, which is actually in the news right now. In the news right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, throughout, throughout history, um, you don't want to attack Russia and be one of the reasons you don't attack Russia on a ground, you don't engage Russia in a ground war right. is because of the spring, spring mud season where yes. all of your armor gets bogged down happens to just about everyone who attacks Russia throughout history. And so the, the bike race is named after that because um, here in New, northern New England, we have a mud, mud season. season. We have we a Raspatitsa. We have a, a time where all of that snowpack thaws out and all of our 
world gets mushy and squishy. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so there's a bike race uh, that I plan on doing with some buddies. We were signed up April of 2020 to do it. Something came up in the world that canceled that. Mm, amazing. Um, and then uh, we were finally able to get back around. It's canceled 21. It was back last year. We weren't able to do it. So this year we'd made a commitment to to finally do this ride together. And we headed up to Burke, Vermont to do the race. Um, and the race, uh, the way it works is it's about you know, multiple distances, but we were going to ride about 45 miles uh, along dirt roads in northern Vermont with massive hills to climb up and over. Um, something about, is, I think a total of those 40 or so miles is about 5,000, 5,500 5, feet of climbing. Wow. Um, so just, just brutal, um, a difficult race. So that was the plan. And we were finally there and excited to get out and uh, do the race. And uh, we got started, uh, um, and about 10 and a half miles into the race, we were um, hit with, they're coming down a, a gentle hill, and there were two cyclists coming up the other direction toward us, really, really somber faces. And they said, they just looked at us and said, race is canceled. Somebody got killed. Turn around. Wow. And we are you know, hit the bricks. We're kind of trying to process what exactly that guy meant. And, um, uh, while we're waiting, someone came up and in a, like an official race vehicle, um, we a group of us were kind of collecting at this point and they just said, yeah, there was a really bad accident up ahead. And, um, we are, we are shutting down the race from that accident backwards. And, you know, it kind of gave us some instructions on how to get back to the wow. start line. So you got black flagged. Is yeah, back, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, gave us some instructions on how to get back to the start line. Asked us to remove our race bibs from our bikes, and uh, and that wow. was it for the race. Um, and so um, he told us, you know, just you know, if you decide to keep riding, just stay too abreast and be careful. So we made our way back to the start line. Um, and just kind of shell shocked. Like you know, we had some options on going and doing different rides, but the guys I was with, myself and you know, myself, were just like, "What do we? You know, what just happened? Yeah. How do we handle this?" And we ended up going back to the start line. And at the start line, you know, which was also you know the finish, huge party atmosphere, all kinds of things still happening. We're watching people finish um, from some of the earlier waves. There's still the DJs playing. The you know they're giving out the food and everything at the end, and we're just sitting there hearing all these people cheer off on these finishers and we're we're just stunned by the whole situation because none of these people knew what had happened you know, and that was a sense you know like, no one at the finish line seemed to know that a tragedy had just happened on the course and um and i think once that news we we hung out for maybe 20 minutes ate some lunch and just head back to the campground that we were staying at and try to process some of that. And I think once the information finally made it up um, to that finish line area, they just, they pulled the plug on the festivities for the whole like race, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and lots of information has come out afterwards. It sounds like, so what had happened was there was a guy, there was a group of cyclists on the um, the longer route. There's a 60 mile, 100K route um, that had gone off an hour before us. And in a pack of about 30 or so riders, one of those riders who was on uh, the left side of the road, because it's a large pack of riders coming through, um, they had made a turn through an intersection going about 30 miles an hour, and coming up the other direction was a, was a young man in his truck because the roads weren't closed. Um, there's mm. warnings out that there was you know a bike race happening, uh, but a young man in a truck was coming up the other direction, and he hit the cyclist, and uh, the cyclist passed away not long after he was hit. Amazing. Um, and so... It's just, it's a horrendous thing. It, you know, yeah, it's a horrendous yeah. tragedy. And um, I was processing this a little bit differently than the guys I was with. Um, the guys I was riding with, they're not believers. Um, yeah. And I was just, I, it's been an interesting thing. And I still, I'm, I'm still messaging back and forth with them and still thinking about this even because I think in the, in the moments of that accident, as you know, I think as a pastor, I'm around tragedy a lot, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's and, kind of our life. And I'm around tragic death and, and unexpected death. And and so part of me felt um, a little clearer in decision-making than the other guys. But, I, you know, I allowed them to kind of lead where they wanted to go because I understood that about myself. I understood where they were, and I wanted them 
to, um, I don't know, I didn't want to put them into a place where they were. It wasn't the time to actually go through the four spiritual laws. No, no, it didn't yeah. feel like that. And nor no. did it feel like the time to be like, guys, we'll be fine. Let's go keep riding this, you know, let's just keep riding this route. Right. We'll just find another right. way around and right. go, it'll be all right. Like, I just knew, like, I could tell, like, they were struggling. And they, um, they were kind of, they just shifted into an autopilot mode. And, and I was like, I'm just going to hang with these guys and whatever they need, I'm going to ride. Yeah. Yeah. And be with them and try and figure this stuff out and, and chat where the opportunity arises. And I was thinking about a little bit as we were, you know, preparing to podcast on a Monday. Yes. Um, Monday. You know, not long after this event. And I, you know, I've chatted with a few people. I've, I've processed, I continue to process what happened. Um, recognizing that uh, the activities I involve myself in have some danger to them. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a personality trait. I tend to like mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, but I was, I was, you know, saying at one point to one of my friends that, um, the, uh, one of the things that I, I've come to understand and believe is that I'm not in control of my life. Right. And at the same time, I have a real confidence in what happens after my life is finished. Very important. Yes. And because of those two things, I can live a little differently when things like this happen. Right. Um, and I can kind of operate with a different level of hope. Right. Um, and that's about as deep as our spiritual conversation got off of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I was thinking about all of this, you know, and, and you know, understanding that you as our audience, you know, also interact with people through tragedy or you've felt tragedy and you've been in these moments where you recognize like, I love Jesus. I know that after death, there's heaven for those who love and trust him. Um, I understand that, that um, the cross means that eternity, right? But in a moment of tragedy, how do I respond? Right. Like when my, right. you know, uh, when my unbelieving brother and sister-in-law lose an infant, yeah, right? right? How do I respond in the moment? Or right. when, you know, when my coworker, um, my coworker's spouse is involved in a tragic motor accident. They lose their life. How do I respond in the moment? And I think a lot of Christians wrestle with this. True. It's very true. So what have you, yeah. I guess like you, you've been in this pastoral ministry thing for yeah. a long time, right? So, you know, and again, like I was saying earlier, as pastors, we, we were around tragedy a lot. Um, how <clears throat> have you cared for people? How have you cared for the people who were adjacent to yeah. the people who, who are struck with tragedy? I, I think the first thing is, just trying to understand your pastor, okay? Because, mm. I mean, I deal with tragedy. Mm -hmm. um, I mourn. Mm -hmm. I struggle. Um, I think that I have been, and we as pastors, have been around so many of those broad emotional experiences uh, that we compartmentalize them yeah like, right? I, we, we there's there's an element in which you have a bit of a callus right yes like when i you know i'm a guitar player and on the on my fingertips on my left left hand um i have deep calluses and i don't feel those strings and they allow me to play my instrument right right because right. over years of playing you know i've lost the sensitivity Right. Those things, but a brand new player would squeeze those and their hand would hurt. Right. And at some level for me to do my job well, um, I have to develop some calluses that allow me to to minister. Exactly. And it's not unfeeling. Right. We still feel those things. It's mm -hmm. just that we we underst we understand we have to function mm -hmm. in that world. Um and uh, odd odd but true. Uh, I, I have a very good relationship with funeral directors mm, mm -hmm. because they're dealing in that same emotion level and, um, you might be offended. I'm going to tell you right now, you might be offended if you walked into the funeral director's office just before a funeral. Sure. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. No, we're going on he this. and I... My, or she and I, depending on who's directing that funeral, we might be talking about 
a new restaurant that opened in town or sharing stuff that's going on in our families because or even telling a joke or, or telling right? a joke yeah. or th- it's not unfeeling we're not you know we're not mocking the individual who died or their family mm-hmm. we're we're actually letting off the steam if yeah. you will of having to deal with us on a regular basis and knowing that here that that funeral director knows that I'm not outing him and he's not outing me. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's some safety in that moment. Yeah, right? there's there's this safety and there's just, just a, a camaraderie that we deal with death. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so there's there's an element of callous, not an unfeeling callous, but more of a protective layer mm-hmm. that we develop. Um because somebody has somebody has to be coherent. Right. In that moment of time. Right. And um, uh, just, I think that it, I think that it enables us as pastors in many ways to even take charge of moments like that. I had a circumstance many years ago, my, uh, my mother-in-law was, uh, she, she and some family members were going out to dinner and we were just hanging around the house and they came back like 15 minutes later. My, my mother-in-law was in, obviously was in serious, serious physical, um, distress. Mm-hmm. And everybody's just kind of looking at her in this physical, they brought her back to the house cause they knew they couldn't go out to eat. Mm. And they're just kind of looking at like, what are we doing? I don't, you know, uh, she's just in distress and I identified the distress and I actually, I kicked everybody else out of the van, took the keys and took her to the hospital mm-hmm. uh, where she was diagnosed with very serious kidney stones. And it was just, it was no one else grasped that. No mm-hmm. one else identified her pain. It was just, you know, and not to their, not to downplay them. They just didn't know how to deal with the tragedy the difficulty at the moment whereas because i had experienced it because i had been through so many of these tragedies because i had i had i i've preached where people have fallen ill in the congregation at you know or fainted or fallen out of an upstairs window no not that bad but (laughs) (laughs) you just know and you just know how to handle those circumstances so that's the biggest, let's just say number one on the tragedy thing is that people who are experienced with dealing with tragedy and vast emotional swings are probably more likely to revert to their experience mm. and deal with the tragedy in a more commanding and more direct way because they have the experience. Yeah. All right. Yep. That, that's, that would be number one. My number, my number thought, one thought. My number two thought is that, um, you know, we just, we just, we know about life. Yeah. We know about life. But another interesting moment. I did a, uh, knew the pastorate. In fact, I was still an associate pastor and, uh, I was asked to do a wedding for a prime, a prime family in the, in the congregation. So I, I do this wedding on Saturday, mm-hmm. huge, huge wedding preached. It was pastor was away that day. So I preached both Sunday morning and Sunday evening to, to finish the Sunday morning. And, uh, just observationally, this is back in the day when we did two sermons on a Sunday, mm-hmm. observationally. Preaching is a, an emotionally draining experience that normally two o'clock in the afternoon, I'm shot and I'm, I take a nap. Mm-hmm. I take a Sunday nap. I am shot. It's two o'clock. I'm going to take a nap and I get this telephone call from a woman in the church who is related, interestingly enough, to the family that from the day before. Mm-hmm. Her husband has just been taken to the emergency room. I get to the emergency room at the moment that they coded him and said he was dead. Oh. Stood there with, with her in the emergency room for her to say goodbye, 
to his now lifeless body mm-hmm. and then came back and preached that night. Yeah. And informed the congregation that this individual who was well-connected in the congregation had gone home to be with the Lord less than two hours before that very moment. Yeah. And continued to preach. Yeah. And allowed our congregation to grasp something from Romans 13 that says that I rejoice with those that rejoice and I weep with those that weep. Mm-hmm. And there's this huge compartmentalization of our lives as believers to identify all of these things happen. They don't happen in a vacuum. Right, right, right. You know, the people who were finishing the race yesterday mm-hmm. or Saturday, mm-hmm. they were celebrating the fact that they had finished a 60-mile road race. Yeah. Why, why burden them with the tragedy? Exactly. Because they were rejoicing. Exactly. So give them that opportunity. But just a grasping of your pastors, you know, we live in both of those worlds. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it is. It's a, it's a fascinating kind of uh, question we've found ourselves called into by the Lord. And it's, you know, you, you have these swings and you have these moments of difficulty um, surrounded with moments of joy. And you're looking around like there's this... There's, the temptation to look around like, how do none of these people see just how tragic this moment is? Right? Like that's it's an easy spot to be. Yes. But you also recognize that the fullness of life and the fullness of yes. experience. And you have, unfortunately, I guess, through the perspective of multiple trials and interactions with people in trials, you you have a the the presence to be able to step back from it and see what's happening. Yeah. Um so I guess, and yeah. I still cry at I still cry at funerals. Oh goodness, yes, and afterwards. Oh, too. and afterwards. Yeah, um, which is something you know. That's I will step into a funeral, and I will do the funeral, and I will do the do the graveside, and then I melt. Yep. Yeah. So it's same similar for me. Hey, I think if you if you talk to the average pastor's wife. Right, which they many of the pastors' wives I know would rather you Not. didn't. <laughs> but uh, they love you. They love you deeply. Um, but like I think one of those things that like those unsung things for pastors' wives that they do as a ministry is they let us process all of this. Yes, right. Because you know there's a, there's an element in which we need to have a strength. Um to bear the burdens of our congregation. It's something we're called into at the end of Galatians, right? Like right. those who are strong, right? right? This right. is the thing that we that God calls us to. Um, and then um, the beautiful thing in the, uh, you know, the partner God's given me and you is that we have people that we can go home to and just, you know, weep before. Right, and right. And process with and, and ask these hard questions of the Lord with. Yes. And, um, and, you know, we do that still, I, you know, that those are the things that we still wrestle with and, and wonder about. I, you know, I got home from my race. We put the kids to bed on Saturday night, um, got home earlier than we expected. And then Kim and I sat up and talked about, you know, the reality of these, you know, of these, uh, you know, dangerous things that I involve myself in, the the, the shortness and the, you know, and yeah. of life, how unpredictable predictable it is. Um, we talked about, um, you know, those things. And then we watched a TV show and had a laugh and, and just, you know, enjoyed being around each other, you know, and yeah. at the time we weren't expecting it, but we were able to process that right. stuff because right. we still have to. Right. Right. Um, and we still have to work through all that. But I guess the key, what you were talking about is how would we encourage people in yeah, processing so tragedy? Knowing, yeah. So right? since, you know, I guess knowing this background about us, now that you've listened yes. to this and hearing that, you know, we're, we're normal human beings who just have a different experience than you might. Um, like, how can we help people who don't normally go through this, who who aren't accustomed to being around those in tragedy, still care for people who are going through it? Because we have this hope of Jesus, right? Which is um, key, right? We 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 understand the we understand the brevity of life. We understand the hope of heaven. Um, and when we have friends who are going through just acute pain, how can we minister well? Right, right, right. 
So, so and I think that that the the start is to actually have all of your personal ducks in a row. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you know you know that there's hope for heaven for those who trust Christ. That's amazing to know that there is not just that there's something after life. Yeah. But that there's a reality of heaven after life for those who know him, and sadly, a a the grievous ugliness of hell for those who have chosen that direction. Right. Um, to have those things firmly in mind is is a huge anchor. I think this the the other anchor that you need to have is that whole brevity of life thing that nobody lives forever. Mm-hmm. No one. Yep. No one. Um, we we kind of had a, a little bit of this conversation this morning in the office mm-hmm. because most of the guys who are doing your sport, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say most, many of the guys who are doing your sport are are older. They're in their 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are doing it because they want to live forever. Mm. A lot of guys who are going to the gym, not me, <laughs> okay. Because you know life is brief. Because I know brief. <laughs> <laughs> Living, living to the edge and sliding into the sliding into the grave, kicking yeah. and screaming. Yeah. But um, there are a lot of people who who are panicked about death. Yeah, and because they are panicked about death, they are doing everything they can to prolong their life. You know, biting kale. <laughs> I don't get it. Um, bite. You know, I'm going to eat right. I'm going to run two and a half miles. I'm going to, and I'm going to do all of this stuff. I'm going to stay healthy. Um, Not realizing and not grasping that, you know, what Jesus says to the rich man who's just torn down his barns and filled them all up. Yeah, Yeah. tonight. Yeah. So, so life is, Isaiah says, a vapor. Mm -hmm. James says, it's a vapor. Mm hmm. Um, uh, it's a watch in the night. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's short right? and it's not short so that you can cram as much into it. It's just short. Yeah. It's just short and you have no control of it. Here's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, which of you by thinking about it is going to add hair to your head. Mm. And that's, that's a grammatical hermeneutics. Not me. Okay. No, not you. No, that's a grammatical thing. Okay, because that's a metaphor. Yeah, it's a statement of when you're talking about adding hair to your head or adding adding height to your stature, it's really a statement about how many of you are going to make your life longer. Right. None. None. So, I personally deal with tragedy by identifying I have a future goal. I know life is short. Yeah. That means death is a reality. I can now handle all kinds of things that come my way. So I guess so. Um, response number one for 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 the listener here is make sure that you have that same confidence. Absolutely. Like, are you confident in your walk with Jesus, and are you confident that your relationship with the Lord leads to heaven? Yes. Right. Yes. Absolutely. You, heaven you've got to start there. And you're looking forward to it. Yes. And I think you know if you know for a lot of people like that might be the value. You might just stop there in the process. And recognize, like, whoa, I am not as confident in my my own eternity as I thought I was. And maybe God can use that tragedy to do something in your own heart. And you need to allow that to happen. Right. Like, actually sit down and process that and allow that, allow the Holy Spirit to do that work in your own heart before you can move on probably to these next steps. Right. So the next step is to allow, allow time to process loss. Yeah. Because I don't care... If you are the strongest believer in the world and you are watching your 90-year-old walked-with-Jesus grandma going home to be with the Lord, there's always loss. Yep. Um, it, the Bible doesn't say—Paul doesn't say that, you know, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, I'm writing to this that you sorrow not. Mm-hmm. He says, I'm writing this that you sorrow not even as others who have no hope. Mm. So we're all going to... Another go- comparison, right? Exactly. So we're all going to process loss. Yep. We're all going to work through that. There, 
there is natural tears. There's natural grief. There's whether that's the grief of losing a job, um, losing your health, losing a spouse, losing a child. You're always, always, always going to process through that loss. So allow time to process that and allow them to process that it's going to be tears. Be quiet. Let them cry. Yeah. Be quiet. Let them talk. It's one of my favorite um, Hebrew customs that still is a thing that yes. we don't practice, right? Shiva. That, yeah, that sitting Shiva, where you just go show up and hang out. Yep. 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 And you give a period of time of just, hey, I'm here. Yes. I'm not going to fix anything you've yep. got. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to give you all of the answers because I don't have them myself necessarily. I only have Jesus. So I'm not going to sit there and lecture you. Right. Uh, I'm just going to be around. Right. It's how the book of Job starts. Yeah. That's the, that's the good part of Job, right? That's the Before good part of Job. goes off the rails and they start giving Job all the wrong answers. Right. They sit with him in the ash heap. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So that's, that's the second one is a lot of the time to process loss. And then, and then the third, I, I would say the third step in handling the tragedy is um, allow the person to express their concerns, convictions. Hmm. What are you hoping for? Mm -hmm. Why is death so painful for you? Yeah. This is not the time to say, oh, you know, death comes to all of us and, you know, for all have sinned and come short of the, <laughs> you know, no, allow, allow the time for that person, you know, what is it about death mm -hmm. that has you so, tell me about death. Mm. Now, this is hard. Especially if, if you're dealing with death. I mean, if you're dealing with loss of a job, tell me, you know, tell me about the job loss. Mm -hmm. um, that gives them time to process the whole meaning of that. It's easier to deal with um, what I'm going to call temporary temporals. Mm. Losing a job, um, um, having, a, having a child get married. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because whether you realize it or not, having your child get married is a, is a mourning process. It's a, there's a mourning process you go yeah. through on that one, right? So, um, so why is this hard? You know, tell me what, what it is you're feeling. Yeah. You get into the death thing. What is it you're feeling about death? Because here's the thing. We don't want to talk about... Death is like Bruno. Yeah. One of the things that I, like pastorally I'll do with grieving people is I'll... I'll just try and pull out great stories. Yes. Right? Yep. Like, you know, tell me about a time where you guys all, like, tell me a time where you guys all laughed together. What was yes. that like? What were yeah. you laughing at? What happened? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, tell yeah. me, like, you know, what was your favorite vacation with so-and-so? Yeah. So? yeah. You know, or, like, what was a, you know, what was the thing that you guys were looking forward to together? Yeah. Right? That's another good one because then you can start thinking about, like, you know, future plans that didn't happen. Right. And you can then, you know, move from there to start talking about why the devastation is there. Right. right. The best talk, those are talks of comfort. And yeah. those, those, that's how you do that is, yeah. you know, reflect on the past, you know, best joys and so on. But when you're actually working through tragedy, then you have to ask people, you know, well, what is it about this yeah. circumstance that is concerning to you? Now, they might look at you like you have two heads, like, well... Well, they died. You know, yeah, right? And they're they're just kind of like, you know, well, don't you feel the same way? Mm -hmm. and, and what you're really attempting to do is you're attempting to you're attempting to plumb the depths of their fears. Now, this is tough because and you have to on a communication scale to get to that place where you're where people are communicating to you their fears. Mhm. Mm um, is very much like um, that's that's like walking naked through Central Park, yeah, or Times Square. Even more like walking naked yeah, through Times Square. Times Square is a little harder, right? Than Central Park. People talking about their fears makes them very vulnerable. Yeah, so you have to be a really good friend to get to that level, um, or there has to be some level of um, acceptable reputation for you mm -hmm. to get to that point. But when you start saying, okay, so tell me about the circumstance. What is it about it that is so difficult for you? you you're going to plumb the depths of death. 
mm-hmm. which nobody wants to talk about. Right. Um, and I guess that's where you come, af- when you come to that point, you actually get to, if you get through that. Right. Yeah, most the people, walls don't come up there. And most people don't actually even try to go there because they don't want to break down that wall. Yeah. Then you can get to this really interesting moment of time, and that is um, how Jesus dealt with tragedy. Mm-hmm. Because there's this tragedy recorded in the book of Luke where uh, there were uh, there were a group of zealots who had come to the temple to uh, to sacrifice, and Pilate Pilate figured out who they were, and he sent Roman soldiers, and they killed them inside the temple, and yeah. it was it was a, a violation of the temple, and it yeah, was a violation, abomination, and it yeah. was a violation of these men who had come in peace, even though they were terrorists, and and they're upset, and they come to Jesus, and they say, what, what do you think of this current events moment, this terrible, terrible tragedy that has affected all of us? And Jesus, Jesus res- responds by saying, unless you repent— you will all likewise perish. Mm. Not that you're all going to die like terrorists, you know, or be murdered, but you're all going to die. Yeah, death comes to everyone. Right? Are you ready? Yep. Which, isn't that how they, isn't that how the preacher in Pollyanna starts? Death <laughs> comes to everyone. Yeah. 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 yeah in that circumstance, it's, um, it's callous and hard-headed and ineffective. Yes. Yes. Right. But if you've worked through these stages, right, you've allowed, you have allowed for the expression, you've allowed for sorrow and you've allowed for um, the understanding of the processing of, of compassion and, and comfort. And then you've moved into maybe even the processing of why is this hard? And now you've worked through why is this hard, and now you get, if you get through why is this hard, then you get to this amazing moment where you say, where you're able to say, you know, yeah, this is hard, but, you know, this tragedy is coming to you too. Right. Are you right? Yeah. Yeah. This, tra- you know, you're going to die. You acknowledge the fear. Right. 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 And at that point, then. Right. right. This is not the moment to sell life insurance. No. Okay. No. But it is the moment to say, okay, so what are you doing? What are your personal... So this happens to everybody. So what's your issue? What's your view of eternity? Mm-hmm. Is there heaven? Is there hell? Who goes there? How do you know? Mm-hmm. How do you know? Yeah. Right. And then... You know, from there, hopefully, there's a go- there's gospel opportunity, right? Yes, yeah, um, and that's you know, ultimately, I think, our our hope, and it's what brings hope in in tragedy, is to be remind ourselves that there's a solution to the pain. You know, pain, this pain, tragedy, all of these things exist in our world because of sin. Yep. Ultimately, yep. And, and because we've introduced death into the world through our own personal decisions and actions. And uh, even in situations like like my race last weekend, like the more information comes out of it, the more um, you kind of see that there was nobody, there was no bad actor in that. You know, right? Like there, sure, there are some things that maybe could have been different from like a race organization perspective. But even then, they had people on the course. Like there were there were volunteers at intersections trying to direct traffic the best they could. You know, I imagine that motorists understood. Because there was signage everywhere, I understood that there were p- cyclists on the roads. Right. Um, those cyclists probably felt safety in the large group that they were in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like you know, as you look at all of these different things, you say there was there's no one to blame. No. In this situation, no. it's tragedy. And we want that. We would we like to love, have somebody to we blame. We would love to it find takes... a person because they take some of that sting out. Like, yeah. It gives us a. It gives us a logic release valve. It gives us ah, oh, this is why this happened. Yes. But that's not always the case. And I think in this circumstance, it's not the case. There's not a there's not a release valve where we can just lump our blame onto this and then feel better about it because we found something to blame. We just have to move away from that tragedy and say, oh, like sin is real, God is good. And, yeah, and yeah. how do we lean on the goodness of God in the midst of all of this agony? Right. And uh yeah, being able to communicate the gospel through that is is 
is ultimately the most powerful tool that we have. Yeah, absolutely. And it could very well be that God has brought tragedy into the lives of others that you know for the specific purpose of communicating hope. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's, that's an awesome thing to grasp, folks, if you grasp it in that context that you have been empowered to share hope um, and God's brought a tragedy into your life or into your experience or the experience of others for the sake of sharing hope. Yeah. Yeah. Good thing. Good it thing. is. It is. It's a hard thing. And I think if you find yourself in these circumstances where you are, where either you yourself are going through tragedy or you are the friend of somebody who's gone through something tragic, um, hopefully podcasts like this can be a resource. Hold on to it. Like it sits out there in the world for a long time. Um, but find somebody like us, like a pastor. Um, there are a lot of things that are probably above our pay grade. And we can point you in the direction of like experienced biblical counselors who can yes. help through this too. Um, but, you know, those those resources exist. You should take advantage of them. Um, and ultimately, you know, the gospel exists. Yes. And, you know, we have a good God who loves us deeply, who does not want tragedy uh, and wants his glory to be shown. And I think our our role in the midst of tragedy is to be reflectors of that glory. Um to to point to Jesus constantly and talk about the goodness of our God and uh, share that with people who need to hear about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Doing it preemptively is good too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Don't wait for tragedy. It can communicate that death comes to everybody at any time. Yep. Yep. Recognizing that we have a good God who p- provided a solution to it. Yeah. To that death. Absolutely. Uh, well, hard podcast today. We're sorry yes, about that. Yes, it was. Um, go listen to it some felt like comedy a or something. Years long. Yeah, it did. Yeah, <laughs> go listen to some comedy or something. Um, but or maybe just go process this. Hey, you know, turn the radio off. Spend some time with the Lord, thinking about it. Um, uh, that's a that's a the radio. Maybe you you know here on is the, there a radio? I don't know. Phonograph. Turn um, the phonograph. <laughs> turn off eight uh, track. Whatever eight. you know. Turn off uh, whatever is pouring a voice into your head for a bit, and just spend some time with the Lord and think about it. Or process this with Him. Yeah. Um, and uh, ultimately, I think that's one of the best things you can do. Uh, it's what I've been doing. Uh, over the last day or so as I've been processing tragedy, um, kind of starting there, you know, my my confidence in who God is and the brevity of life. And that I have a God who knows me and loves me. And uh, just spending some quality time in silence with him is a helpful thing in moments yeah, like this. Absolutely. So hopefully that was an encouragement to you. Uh, we're glad you joined us. We will see you back here hopefully next week. Amen. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. You have been listening to Inside the Pastor Study Podcast with Pastors George and Jeremy Stevens. Artwork by Caitlin Gallagher, music by San Demetrius, and engineering help from Ashley Gallagher. To find out more about us, head to Marsh Corner.